Has God ever interrupted your life? He's interrupted mine way more than once. And the biggest interruption in my life occurred after I'd been working in the business world for 12 years and God made it clear that he wanted to change the trajectory of my life. I was supposed to leave the marketplace and enter the ministry. Now I've mentioned this to you before, but I haven't shared with you a lot of the details of that transition. The reality though is it wasn't easy. And it wasn't easy because it was a huge interruption to my plans. Now you need to know that when God made that change in direction clear, it wasn't a new thought. I'd considered it going into the ministry back in my college days. I'd actually studied and prepared academically as part of my college education. But when I left college, I went into business. And 12 years later, I had moved on. I had left that idea behind. And I was a businessman. And my direction was set. But you know, when God has other plans for your life, sometimes he shows up in really interesting ways. Now, as we just heard in the scripture, for Mary, it was an angel. He didn't send me an angel. And he didn't speak to me in an audible voice. The heavens didn't open. But you know what he did? He sent some friends. And over a three-week period, three men that I deeply respect, each came to me individually and said, Bruce, I've been praying for you. And I know at one point in the past you thought about ministry. Well, God wants you to know that you need to now leave the marketplace and go into ministry. They all said that in various ways, but the message was clear. And here's the key thing. None of those men was aware that the others had said the same thing to me. When the first guy showed up, I just kind of blew him off. I said, no, 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 I I left that behind. And when the second guy showed up, I started to wonder. (laughs) And then the third guy showed up. And I knew it wasn't a coincidence. God was speaking to me through them. And when you realize that God is speaking to you about something significant that he wants for your life, oh, it's really, really exciting. You know what, though? It's also really scary. It's scary because change is hard. And it was scary because if I said yes to God, I would be doing more than making a career change. I would be stepping into a dramatically different lifestyle. The rhythm of my work week would completely change. My self-identity would change. I would no longer be a businessman. I would be a pastor. And I wasn't sure I wanted that label. I wasn't sure I could navigate that change. And so I was afraid. And of course, that change didn't just affect me because I was married. And it affected Julie because if I said yes to God, then she would become a pastor's wife and she wasn't sure she'd signed up for that role. And at that time, we had two children and a third on the way. And if I said yes to God, we'd now be raising them as pastor's kids with all of the unique challenges that entails. And we'd be raising our family on a much lower income because ministry 
doesn't pay what I was earning in the private sector. And this was a profound change that God was inviting me to step into. Saying, Bruce, this is what I want for you because it's what's best for you. God was wanting me to embrace a new opportunity. And Julie and I had to begin to see it like that. But you know, here's what's so cool about God. He made his wishes known and then he didn't pressure us in any way. He just said, here's the plan, guys. What are you going to do with it? I, we, had to decide how to respond. And literally after, after not just weeks but months of prayer and discussion, I took the plunge. We took the plunge. Oh yes, there were many unanswered questions, but we came to a point where we said despite the questions, we trust our Heavenly Father. We trust what He's doing. We trust that He knows what's best for us. And we trust that He can help us move through our fears, beyond our doubts, and faithfully live out His plan for our lives. And that in all of this transition, He'll watch over us and our family. And the key piece is this. We had to move beyond fear so we could embrace faith. And how do you make that change? Well, as we wrestled and prayed and talked, we often turn to the Scriptures for wisdom because there's so many examples in the Bible of God interrupting the lives of different people and saying to them, I want you to head in a new direction. People like Abraham... Leave the land you've always known. Go to a far-off land you've never been to, Abraham. Moses, leave behind the wealth and the splendor of Egypt and lead the Hebrew people out of bondage. The Apostle Paul, to leave behind everything he'd understood about Judaism, to have that be completed in a new understanding of Jesus as the Messiah and become an apostle of the church. Stories like that are such a great encouragement because we see how God works with people through seasons of transition after he's shown up and dramatically interrupted their lives. But you know what? I think some of the most vivid examples of this occur in the events leading up to the very first Christmas. The story of Jesus' arrival in the world, God coming in the flesh... That story touches many lives, but those events are particularly centered on a young girl named Mary. And oh boy, is her life interrupted in an incredible way, a radical way. And by her response to God's messenger, she shows us how to move from fear and through questions and arrive at faith. So Mary shows us, as we heard in the passage that we just, it was just read to us, she shows us how to trust God and embrace his plans rather than our own plans. And it's a wonderful Christmas story. Yet we need to understand that it doesn't start out with faith. It starts out with fear. Let's take a look at a couple of the key verses here. 
And he, that's the angel, came to her, that's Mary, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. After all, an angel doesn't show up every day, right? And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, just as an aside before we dig into some of the specifics, this account comes from the Gospel of Luke, named after its author, Luke. And Luke also went through his, uh, his own major, radical, dramatic change in life plans. Luke had been trained as a physician. He was a doctor. Yet after becoming a follower of Jesus, he got to know some of the apostles, and he became a traveling companion of Paul and others as they went on missionary journeys. And God did something profound because Luke, in his training as a doctor, he'd been gifted with an eye for analysis and diagnosis and detail, and he wound up becoming a historian and chronicling what God was doing in this world. And so Dr. Luke wrote for us the book of Acts, which is an incredible history of the early church. And he wrote this biography of Jesus that we call the book of Luke. But we might not have had those things if Luke had said no to God. No, God, I'm going to stay a doctor. Live in a town, take care of people, do doctor stuff. And God said, Luke, here's what I want you to do using the skills I've given you. And Luke was faithful and we have this marvelous record. And here in this passage from Luke, Luke provides us with an overview of the events leading up to the birth of Jesus and the first Christmas. And a key part of this story is profound. God, the omnipotent creator of heaven and earth, plans to come to earth in human form. This means that Jesus will need a birth mother. And so one day, out of the blue... This angel named Gabriel shows up to dramatically offer that role, the role of mother of the Son of God, to this young girl named Mary. And who exactly is Mary? Well, she is a young, innocent, small-town girl. And at the time the angel shows up, most of her attention would probably be focused on her upcoming wedding because she's engaged. Her fiancé is a good and godly man named Joseph who has an established trade as a carpenter. Here's a key piece we need to understand. It was really common in the first century Middle East for girls to be pledged to be married and enter into engagement shortly after they physically became able to bear children. And so all of our best evidence says that Mary is likely between 13 and 16 years old when Gabriel shows up. And just let that sink into your head for a moment. This girl is a young teenager. And think about that as this story unfolds. So here is this young, 
rural girl who's lived a very simple life and she is in the process of laying the foundation for her life as an adult. And in that moment, she's doing what we all would do in those situations. She is pursuing her own plans. She's getting ready to become a wife. And then, hopefully someday, become a mother. And it's in the midst of her planning for a well-known path that God shows up in this unexpected way and says, oh Mary, my preferred plans for you, they're very different than your own. And how does Mary initially react to that heavenly interruption? Well, as we saw in the passage, not very enthusiastically. In fact, she's rather troubled. You see, she's been raised as a faithful Jewish girl, so she knows the Bible stories. She would have been told how angels often interrupted the lives of some of her Jewish ancestors, and she knows that angels don't just stop by to say hi and check in on you. When an angel shows up, it's serious, serious business. It's no surprise then that Mary is greatly troubled and, and I think we can understand that. I mean, we read the Bible. We know that angels are real. We know they show up at times. But do you expect an angel to show up unannounced in your life? Probably not. I don't. Neither did Mary. And so when this unanticipated event happens, she reacts with fear, which is the almost universal reaction that people have when an angel shows up. And Gabriel sees her fear and he speaks to comfort her. He wants her to know that his arrival is not an indication of a problem. God isn't coming to judge her or criticize her. God has sent Gabriel to bring good news. And so Gabriel tells her twice that she has found favor with God. Yet we need to ask why. After all, she's just a teenager. And she's not yet lived much of life. And she lives in a really small backwater community where nothing exciting ever happens. So what could this young girl have done to earn God's favor? Listen to the answer because it's really important. Nothing. She's done nothing to earn God's favor. You see that word favored? is a form of the word that we usually translate grace. And what is grace but an unearned blessing from God? So Mary has not earned God's favor. God has chosen to favor Mary. God has chosen her. And he's chosen her for a role that is both life-changing and history-making because she learns that she will supernaturally become pregnant and God is doing this not just to bless her with yet another sweet little Jewish boy her son will be a leader of historic proportions 
and she must give him an unusual name, the name of Jesus. Some of us name kids based on the meanings of those names, but in ancient Middle East culture, oh my goodness, those names were deeply symbolic. Every name was laden with meaning. And so for Gabriel to say, you need to name him Jesus, oh, that communicates volumes to Mary and it will communicate volumes to all those who later hear that name because Jesus is from the Hebrew word, the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means salvation. And so when Jesus arrives... He will come in fulfillment of ancient prophecies. He will occupy the throne of David. He will establish a kingdom that lasts forever and he will play a significant role in the salvation of the Jewish people and beyond that, the salvation of the world. Wow. What an honor for Mary. What an honor to be chosen to be the mother of a son like that. Yet yet it still leaves us with a question. Why would God pick such a young and inexperienced girl for this substantial role? Here's what I believe. I think God picked her precisely because she was young and inexperienced. And here's a way to understand this. Think for just a minute about the sacrificial system that God established for the Jewish people. Once a year, Jews would sacrifice an innocent animal whose death would pay the penalty for their sins. And that annual ritual sacrifice had to be a young lamb, not an aged sheep. And why was that? Because an old sheep would have bruises and cuts. It would be imperfect. It would show the wear and tear of life. A young lamb, though, could be unblemished. The Jews always chose to give a young sacrificial lamb specifically because it was young and pure and unscarred. In a similar way, Mary is chosen because of her youth. She's young, she's lived a sheltered existence in a rural village, and she's not yet been beaten up by life. God the Father deliberately picks a young, unblemished woman who still is a virgin to be the mother of God the Son. And then let's think about this for a minute from Mary's perspective. She's there listening to Gabriel. She learns what God is asking her to do. And I have to believe that she's completely overwhelmed. I mean, this particular plan goes far beyond anything that she ever knows or understands or probably has ever even heard of. It's certainly not something she was hoping for. Here she is, she's planning for a wedding, and I'm certain she's probably praying and asking God to bless her in her married life, but I seriously doubt that she was praying for God to make her an unwed mother. How do you process 
such totally unexpected news. I, I mean, think about this. It's, you know, it's one thing if God shows up and maybe does like a miraculous healing and, and removes disease from someone. Now, that's really wild, but at least it's understandable because we see people through various means get healed of diseases. But to become pregnant when you've never been intimate with a man, it's beyond comprehension. It should come as no surprise then that Mary's having a hard time making sense out of all this. Gabriel's message would confuse anyone. And it's likely that Mary has many, many questions. Perhaps questions like, why me? (laughs) Maybe, why now? Or here's a great question. You know, if I say yes to God, God's plan, uh, what, what do I tell mom and dad and my fiancé? <laughs> Whatever questions Mary might have, though, she only asks one. She zeroes in on the central issue, and she asks a very straightforward and logical question. How can she, as a virgin, get pregnant? Here's the question. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And we need to realize that from a human perspective, Gabriel's announcement about Mary's impending pregnancy really doesn't make any sense at all. But that's what makes it a miracle. Because what is a miracle? A miracle is an action by God that defies what we know and understand. And a miracle takes place when God, the creator who set the world in motion, chooses to upset the natural order that he created and do something extraordinary. That's a miracle. And God wants to do a miracle in and through Mary. And yet it doesn't add up. And that's why she asks this question. And and I am so glad that she asks because she shows us that it's okay to have questions for God, particularly when he interrupts the plans we've laid out. And he asks us to go and head in a dramatically new direction. And here's a key point. Mary's question is not one of doubt but simply a question of means. She's not asking, oh, how could God even do this? She's asking, well, since I'm a virgin, how's God going to make it happen? It's a logical question. It's a legitimate question. And it's so encouraging to discover that Gabriel doesn't criticize her for asking. Nor does the question cause God's messenger to have second thoughts about her suitability for the role she's been asked to play. Gabriel doesn't say, what? You have a question? Well, I'm going to have to go back to God. We better pick somebody else. Gabriel doesn't do that because it's okay to have questions. And he simply responds and said that the Holy Spirit will bring about the miraculous birth of this child. 
a child who won't be the biological son of Joseph, Mary's fiance, assuming at this point, which Mary doesn't know, that the wedding still comes off. (laughs) But in this moment, Gabriel wants her to know that God can work outside the limitations of human biology because he created it in the first place and nothing is impossible for him. And so this is God's plan for Mary. Yet it hasn't happened yet because God doesn't force himself on her. She doesn't have to go along with this. You see, we always have a choice with God. We always are free to say no. And the Bible is filled with stories of people who encountered God, who heard from God's messengers, and yet they still pursued their own plans. One of the classic stories comes from the Old Testament book of Exodus where we read about Pharaoh, the ruler of the Egyptian empire. And Moses comes to Pharaoh as God's messenger and gives him very clear, repeated warnings from God. And what does Pharaoh do? He says, I'm ignoring it. Because human beings don't have to do what God asks them to do. Our forefathers in the faith, people like Abraham and Moses, they, they sometimes followed God's plan and sometimes they didn't. Because we always have a choice. On more than one occasion, I've met with people on their deathbed. People who wondered if there was any hope beyond the grave. And yet when I offered to talk with them about that and pray with them, they turned me down. As they stared eternity in the face, they decided they wanted nothing to do with God. Because we always have a choice. So even though God in this moment with Mary has the plan all laid out, he doesn't force himself on her. She has to choose how to respond. And she can willingly embrace God's plan or she can walk away. And this is the part of the story that I really love because it's in the culmination of this story where we see the spirituality of this teenager shine we see this young woman display an incredibly profound trust in God. Despite being overwhelmed, she doesn't argue, she doesn't hesitate, she doesn't whine, she doesn't hold back. She simply says, I'm going to make myself available to your amazing plans, God. And I'm going to put my total trust in you. Look at the culmination of the story here. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. By by the way, isn't that an interesting thing? Because she said, well, how's this going to happen since I'm a virgin? In in a lot of ways, that doesn't really answer the question. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't get into biology. It doesn't just get into details. It said, basically, God's going to take care of it in a way that you probably can't even understand. And look at this. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Wow. 
Let's, let's think about the progression of events here. An angel shows up and interrupts Mary in the midst of her daily routine and she reacts to his arrival with fear and then this angel named Gabriel gives her a message that, that prompts her to respond with a question and she realizes through all of this that God's preferred plan for her life will turn her life upside down. And she responds with faith. And here's the most important thing to understand. She agrees to God's plan, not because all of the details are made clear. She trusts God completely despite any lingering questions she might have. And oh, what a marvelous response, particularly since she knows that she likely will be, pay a price for her faith. After all, what will her family and her friends and her neighbors and her fiancé think about this story of a divine conception? Are they going to believe it? Probably not. And in that culture, as an engaged woman, her interactions with Joseph would have been strictly chaperoned. So people will know, oh, Joseph's not the father. It would have been bad enough morally in that day if he was. But they're likely going to assume that Mary's been sneaking around and she's gotten involved with another man and been unfaithful to her fiancé. Oh my goodness. Dealing with any accusations like that which might emerge would not be fun. And how about her parents? I try to imagine the conversation that takes place between Mary and her parents after Gabriel leaves. Hey, Mom, Dad, guess what? I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> uh, but, but don't worry, everything's okay because I've never been with a man. <laughs> God's Spirit is going to supernaturally make me pregnant. Isn't that cool? And won't, won't Joseph be excited when he gets the news? <laughs> yeah, right, honey. <laughs> I, I just, I think most parents would have a very difficult time accepting a story like that from their young teenage girl. And when we think of all of the ramifications of saying yes to God, Mary's response to Gabriel is in my view one of the purest demonstrations of faith we have in all of Scripture. She is showing us what it means to live by faith. And she says to God's messenger, basically, I'm trusting God's plan, which means I'm willing to accept any adverse consequences that come along with God's plan. And Mary, of course, isn't alone. Because we see others in Scripture whose lives are interrupted. I've mentioned some of those. God interrupts all of our lives at, at various ways and, and, and at various ways, at various times for various reasons. And at the start of the message, I explained the way God changed the trajectory of my life and my family's life. You know, for, for us to continue to live as family where dad worked in the marketplace, that wouldn't have been a life without problems. Of course not. Everybody's got problems, right? Well, the life of ministry has problems too. They were different in many cases. 
different bumps in the road, different challenges. By saying yes to God, we are heading into some unknown territory. And that's what we have to do when we live by faith. And many of you have walked that path. Maybe it was the time God said, I want you to change jobs or careers. Maybe it was when God said, I want you to relocate and it's going to really uproot your life and you're going to have to go to a new community and start over. A friend of mine named Bill was majorly interrupted by God when God made it clear he wanted Bill to leave his marketplace job for six months and go serve overseas as a short-term missionary in a country where he'd never been working alongside a missionary that he'd never met. That was a pretty major interruption. And he said yes to God. You know, sometimes God's interruptions come in ways that are smaller and less dramatic, but no less important. Like the time when God gave a nudge to my friend John and essentially made it clear to John that here was the message. John, I want you to break out of your relational ruts. And I want you to make time to build a meaningful relationship with that new neighbor who just moved in next door. Because that guy is so spiritually adrift. And I want you to share my love with him. For John, that was a pretty big interruption. But he said yes to God. He took a step of faith and invested in a relationship with someone who was spiritually adrift. And he helped lead him to the foot of the cross. You know, whenever God interrupts our lives, for whatever reason, we at first might be troubled. We might even be fearful like Mary was. And it may be that just like Mary, we might have some questions. And in the end, we always have a choice. We can turn away from God, or we can embrace his plans. We can be like Mary, and we can trust that the Heavenly Father knows what he's doing. And by faith, we can believe that we will find the greatest joy and fulfillment in life when we embrace God's plans rather than our own plans. And we can trust that this is true, even when the way ahead is not fully clear, and even when God's path likely will contain some bumps and some bruises. You know, it occurs to me that Mary had no idea of God's big picture, but from a human perspective, without her faith, the very first Christmas wouldn't have happened. And that's why faith lies at the heart of the character of Christmas. My prayer is that whenever God shows up in our lives, whenever he steps in to interrupt us, that we will remember Mary's story. And whatever it might be that God asks you or I to do, let's resolve never to yield to fear that would cause us to hold back. But instead, like Mary, we would always choose the path of faith. Please pray with me.
Our gracious God, we're so thankful that Mary listened to Gabriel. We're so thankful that she chose to trust in that moment when you dramatically and radically interrupted her life. And I pray that, that we would be encouraged by her example. Oh yes, many of us have heard this story scores of times, but may it, may it be written in our minds and our hearts in a new way today so that we would be encouraged by her and inspired by her and that we would be prompted in our own moments of decision to follow her example. I pray, Father, that we would be men and women who follow you and allow you to lead us from fear to faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.